0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Wave Ministries.
1: Visit TheWaveColumbus.com for more information. Welcome to The Wave Podcast. I am Danny Ortiz. I am delighted that you come with us weekly to get into God's Word. My prayer is that you had an incredible thanksgiving as you gave God glory and honor and, and, and just grateful for everything that He's done for us um, I am excited that you are growing, and we're growing together as a family, um, and we're growing in his word, and God is just working in us, uh, his goodness and his will and his purpose to this. just be sons and daughters of the king. I do want to say this uh, before I start. I got an exciting guest for all of you. You guys are going to be floored. It's an incredible uh, testimony, incredible woman of God, prophetess that speaks to the nations. I believe that she has a word in her mouth for now. And I can't wait to introduce you to her. Before we go there, we are, today is December 1st. Uh, We we wanted to release this on December 1st because we are challenging the WAVE community, the WAVE family all over the world, wherever you're listening to this, from uh, Central America, some of you are listening from Israel, Europe. Doesn't matter where you're listening to this. We just wanna challenge this for the next, uh, from now December 1st to December 31st, we wanna challenge you to fast, get closer to God, draw into the things of the Lord. Um, As a lot of of us have been hearing from me where I'm not wishing the 2020 away, right? I'm embracing it. I'm glad that God allowed us to go through everything that we went through. So I want you to do in in the last stretch of it, let's begin to start hearing God for 2021 and what God is doing now and what he wants to do in 2021 in our lives. So we're gonna challenge you. You're gonna hear me talk about it every week to fast to seek his face, to spend time with him daily. If you're not already doing it, do it. Spend time in his presence. So that's my encouragement word to you for today. And I'm excited to introduce to you to Clementine Vejiga, my sister, my friend. Welcome to the WAVE Family Podcast. How are you doing? I am great, Danny. How are you? Doing excellent, excellent, excellent. I am excited that you're here. A lot of people don't know your story, they don't know who you are, but after this, we're gonna bring you back regularly and you're gonna be part of this community and I'm excited uh, for what God has done with you and through your life. Your life has encouraged me. Um, I, 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 I just wanna start with saying this. Your story, I've heard from two other people before I met you. Um, God has been trying to draw us together for at least two years. You've heard Amen. about me and I heard about you. And God finally did it. Um, And so however way you want to start, you start. The floor is yours. Tell us about you. Tell us where you're from. Tell us everything. Uh, You have a book. Let me just say this before you start. You have a book called Happily Broken. (laughs) That title seems almost like an oxymoron. Happily Broken. Right. Yeah. That is your testimony. Talk to us how God took you from royalty the refugee, but it was the hand of God. I'm going to shut up now. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, thank you so much
0: for having me uh, on your podcast. I'm very excited. And yes, God has been trying to connect us for the longest, and it's finally happened, and hallelujah to that. And um, I am just so uh, blessed. Um, God always puts people in my life that I never expected to meet ever and um, as we have uh, spoken before, I I believe like um, I believe that my life is it's a miracle. I am a miracle that I'm alive. So every encounter that I make, everyone that I meet, I know for sure that God has put them in my life for a good reason. and um, this is where I am supposed to be right now talking to you and the whole way family. So thank you for allowing me to be here.
1: Come on. And, and, and I when I think of you, I think of Jeremiah 29, 11. Like you are, you are the, you, that scripture is on your walk. But I know the thoughts that I think towards you says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Right. Um, tell Amen. us how your story started when you was a little girl, because that's where every time I hear your story, it starts there. You are yes. in Rwanda, right? And there is the, the, before the genocide, right, in Rwanda, before that, the, 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 the real, the hand of the enemy just goes and there's a lot of evil. Tell us your story, Clementine, from the beginning, the things that you grew up, you grew up in the things of God, you known God since you was a little girl, but tell us how, how it started, your story, your testimony.
0: Right, so everything started, um, you know, the earliest memories I can remember, I was probably five years old. And um, I was daddy's little girl. I I had everything I could ask for and didn't even know. You know, mm-hmm. I was, um, my family was very wealthy, um, very Christian, very wealthy. And my parents, you know, they were giving to the poor, they were giving to the community left and right. And I just thought that that's how everybody lived, right? I didn't think that there was any difference between me and, and um, you know, my next door neighbor or the people in the next town or the next village. Um, I didn't see that. I didn't see how lucky I was to be in that position, right? Mm. And, um, you know, we had a big house, we had maids, we had chauffeurs, uh, we went to the best And when I said best schools, this means that, you know, I went to the school where all the white folks sent their children because Mm -hmm. they are the ones with all the money. So if you went to a a school with white kids and you had white friends, you are considered rich. And, you know, we had all that. We had all that. Um, You know, there was nothing I could ask for that my parents could not afford, but my father was very traditional and and very intentional in making sure that we did not think we were better than others. So even though we had, you know, he had all the money in the world, we weren't even allowed to have TV. I did not grow up with a TV. The first time my family owned a TV was when we got to the US and we got a second hand TV that somebody donated to us, right? Um, but yeah went to the best schools everything that was necessary for us to grow we had if it wasn't necessary my father said no you don't need it but we could have it right Um, but but life was great and you know that's all I knew until when I was eight Um, it's like the devil just came over the whole country and Neighbors started killing neighbors, and literally, these are people that were in church together, like the Sunday before, eat together. I mean, we all used to go to church as a community, sit together, come back from church, share meals, and these people, all of a sudden, they're just butchering each other, meaning they would go, like someone would go and get a machete and cut off their neighbor's head,
1: off. This is this and this happened overnight like it it literally the the propaganda for those who don't know the Rwanda story the propaganda was so bad and and what the enemy did to turn people against each other because it was the lie that was given to one another. They literally is like you're saying they went from friends to enemies not even knowing why. Right so
0: in Rwanda there are uh, different ethnicities right there are three ethnic ethnic groups. Uh, but at this point, it was the Hutus and the Tutsis that were fighting against each other. But there's so much intermarriage going on that it was so hard to even differentiate who's a Hutu, who's a Tutsi, right? And so, it doesn't really matter what side you are on, whether you're a Hutu or a Tutsi, you are a target somewhere, somehow, mm. right? So, and and, you know, with me having had this perfect life, kind of like a royalty, I was like a princess. I had, you know, everything I needed, everything I wanted. I had never heard of anything like that. I didn't even know people were capable of doing that, you know, just butchering each other. I mean, I had, I had you know, gunshots and things like that. But that was like, you know, in a distance, you know, I just never, ever thought someone would come and kill somebody else. And um, it it was, it was a moment of, you know, confusion for me. Um, I was, it's like my brain just stopped working and I was frozen. And I, it was like a fight or flight. Like, what do you do? How do you even try to understand this? And everyone was panicking. No one was you know, available to to try to explain to me, hey, this is what is going on. At that moment, it was like, okay, you gotta run. Explanations will come later. You gotta run. So, I remember it was in April, and April thirteenth is my birthday, and I was very excited to celebrate my birthday that month, and I I was like, you know, I wanted to make a list of everything that I wanted, and you know, just just super excited and. And I was like, wow, really? Like, this is going to happen during my month? <laughs> <laughs> I
1: missed out on my birthday.
0: <laughs> right, right. Kind of like Corona now. Like, April came and I was like, really? <laughs> I thought it would have been over by then. But, but so we ran. Um, we got out of our compound. We lived in a big uh, stone compound. Got out. And as soon as we hit the street we saw a whole bunch of folks just running screaming you know bombs exploding bullets all over people's bodies just you know um, chopped off like a leg will be there a head will be there and I could tell like oh that's this person's head oh that's his body because I know that outfit you know and it was just it, it was incredible I just could not believe what was going on and that's when my innocence kind of just left me and I started seeing the world in a different way I started seeing people in a different way and I started questioning God because like I said I grew up in a Christian family um and, you know, uh, they teach you God is loving, you know, God loves all his children. You know, I was eight years old. So I, I, I knew the glossy picture of, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah God is always there. He's all good. He's always going to protect you. He's not going to let anything happen to you. But I'm, I was like, but what about all these people that are being killed? What about all these kids that all of a sudden they're orphaned? You know, where is God? Why is God not saving us? And so that, that really started my journey into, you know, questioning God, trying to figure out if God even exists, you know, and um, you know, my spirituality just started shaking, but then also um, getting stronger at the same time uh, because of the different things that I was going through and, uh, you know, with my parents uh, taking time to to kind of bring me back to um, kind of like the foundation and say, you know, this is what's happening and uh, just kind of reflect on everything that's happening and read the Bible and talk about the different um, the different uh, wars that took place in the Bible and how God delivered his people, things like that. So, um, I started connecting things like that to my story and um, later on went to live in refugee camps where you know, we saw more deaths. Um, we would literally go to sleep on the ground, right? Uh, it would be maybe 10,000 uh, 10, of us and half of us would wake up. The other half would be dead. Wow. And it was so normal to us you know you become you start normalizing even the the bad things that people would hope that somebody dies so that they can get their coat the next time they wake up so that they stay warm you know it (laughs) was not unheard of for someone to go in oh okay he's dead all right let me get those those shoes you know I don't have any shoes let me get and then you just keep on moving and I'm looking at all of this and I'm like oh my goodness I mean, this is like an eight-year-old mine And I, I always look at my son who just turned nine. And I, I look at him and I'm like, would he even? I cannot, be, I cannot believe I was his age when I was going through this.
1: Exactly and right. And I
0: just, right. And I, I imagine him going through that. And I look at myself and I'm like, Clementine, you are a miracle. The fact that you're even sane.
1: <laughs> Come on. The fact, the fact, man, you you said so much there, Clementine, because the fact that you couldn't grieve death, because if life was moving so fast, Mm -hmm. you couldn't, you couldn't grieve death, you couldn't grieve the neighbor, because his coat made, made, made sure that you was warm, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you said something powerful uh, with your story there that I want to go back to, where you was at a crossroads, and I think a lot of people, when they go through trials, and they go through... Uh, the valley of the shadow of death, right? You'll feel no evil, but he is with us. We either can take that opportunity to um, separate from God or recognize that he's in it, right? And so you only go one or two ways there. You either run from God or you run towards God, right? Because even though you don't understand, like, man, this is crazy. Like, this is happening. You know, I'm going through some, and so many people go through that. Like they get, they hit a bump in the road or they hit some. Real tragedy, you know what I mean. Um, I know folks that lost a, a child, right? And, and mm-hmm. that that moment is that crossroads. Do I blame God, or do I get closer to God and say, "You are with me in the valley of the shadow of death?" And I I, I want to. When I'm praying, I want to know you. I gotta know all of you, and I gotta know the God of the valley of death, right? And part of that is walking through some hard things. Uh, not that God makes any hard things happen. But yet we have an enemy of our soul that's that's Uh after us. You know what I mean? God knows then how to use these situations to mature us and to see that there is a global picture. There's a bigger picture too, right? Uh And even though there's loss and tragedy, um, which again, we're going to get to the title of your book later on, but happily broken is like, even in the broken pieces, God takes those pieces and makes a mosaic out of it. Right. I have it behind me a painting of a whole bunch of like almost mosaic, a whole bunch of pieces making a painting. And that Amen. to me is the beautiful of God's story that he takes the broken pieces of glasses. He puts it together and he makes a beautiful masterpiece because life ain't perfect. Right. God doesn't promise us the the rosy, yes. you know, what I mean, uh, the, the bless me. I'm going to bless that that prosperity gospel. That's not the gospel. Jesus said in this light, you will have trouble, mm-hmm. but he will deliver you from them all. You know, what I mean. And so you eight years old, you went from royalty to refugee, seeing people die. How, explain to us the journey then from the refugee, your first journey crossing, trying to get to the United States, because that's a journey within itself, going through some jungles, going through, what, what, um, what happened with your mom and dad? I know there was separation, you separated mm-hmm. it. Tell us that story, that part of the story.
0: Well, so when we were leaving Rwanda, um, We went to Congo, which was then called Zaire, right? And um, like I said, there was so much. I got to pause you right case. there
1: for one second. Pause you one day, right? So I've been praying for Zaire, the Republic of Congo, since I was yeah. 12 years old. Really? How? How did you old, pick that country? The Holy Spirit, in one day in praying at 12 years old, told me I had to fly. I had my mom. We were poor in the South Bronx. I had to find me a flag from from the Republic of uh, from the Republic of Congo, from Zaire. I had to get me a flag. Now, not knowing years later when I took a blood test, I have blood from Congo in my blood. No way, Congo, Zaire? Yeah, in front of God, in my blood. I'm 49% African blood. I got different parts of Africa of blood in me, in my blood. Puerto Rico is made of black you know, Spaniard and, and, and right. Native. Um, so I have come, not knowing that at 12, the Lord put that in, them in my heart to pray for when I was 12 years old. So go ahead. I just needed to throw that in there because God wow. gives you these things, not understanding. Um, even when I went to Israel, when I went to Israel for the first time, I felt like I was home, not knowing that I had 3% of the blood of Israel in my blood. You know what I mean? Until I got back home and did this wow. blood test. found out that all these places I felt like home that literally God had that blood is throw, running through my body today. So go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I did. So I'm sorry. But I no, that's say that.
0: great because I will tell you in Congo, any refugee that you speak with who went through my journey, they will tell you that Congo is the place where they really broke. Congo broke every single one of us in one wow. way or another. And unfortunately, even now, people are still going through what I went through, but I'm sitting right here. Come um, on. So when we left Rwanda, um, like I said, it was a lot of chaos, um, um, you know, bombs exploding, bullets flying in the air. You are lucky if you weren't caught by one. And, and now within the, in that chaos, my parents and I separated. So my mother was eight months pregnant with my little brother, and um, she was in a car with the youngest kids, and myself and my two older brothers were walking. So I was eight, my other brother was 11, and then 13. Um, So we crossed the border of Rwanda and Congo on our own and followed a group of kids and went to live in this abandoned shelter on our own, just a whole bunch of kids trying to survive. And we did not know whether we were ever gonna see my parents. Um, and at that time, by the way, my father wasn't even in the country, he was in Kenya. So we left the country on our own with my mom almost due. And um, it, we just never thought we would ever see them again because um, a lot of, a lot of uh, folks were just dying in the street and you know on their way to Congo or there will be, you know, this will be like time for crimes, like looting and just killing, senseless killing, you know, people are panicking. So we went and lived in that abandoned shelter for about two weeks. For me, it felt like, my, God, it felt like years and years, um, because every day was harder than the day before. Every day, mm. like each day that went by, I was more hungrier, I was more thirsty, I was more desperate, I was I I was like vanishing. Right. And, um, and my hope, I just kept, I I lost hope every single day that passed by. Um, we didn't have anything to eat. So people would come and, you know, throw us food like dogs and we'll just eat whatever we could get. And we did not know how long this was going to last. We weren't going to last. Wow. If, if God hadn't intervened we weren't gonna last at all and um, about uh, about two weeks after I saw a car come down towards where we were staying and the closer I got I realized that's my parents car and sure enough it was my mom and my dad had joined her somehow and there were radios broadcasting whereabouts of lost kids, and that's how they found us. And so we were able to, re- to reunite with my parents. But a lot of these other kids that were there with us, unfortunately, they didn't survive. And so um, that was like one miracle for me that I started thinking, okay, God, God is somewhere, you know, Mm, we are not, we have not been forgotten. And that's when I started, you know, realizing things that were happening in my life. And like I said, our parents just reassuring us that, you know, even if they don't make it, God will be there. God has the best, um, the best interest for us. And whatever happens is God's will. Uh, So we just went through the whole uh the the whole um the whole uh fiasco or whatever just thinking everything that happens is god's will mm. we have we are powerless at this point that's Only right god has the power right so i got really excited when i saw my parents i thought we were gonna go back to rwanda and everything will be back to normal i'll go back to school you know the killing is done everything no i have not been in rwanda and i'm 34 years old that did not happen we ended up going to live in refugee camps which uh, as i mentioned before were worse than where we had just came from you know folks were just dying of malaria cholera um typhoid malnutrition i mean things that People here in America, we never have to worry about catching, yeah. you know? Yeah. It, it was like a wave of COVID, really. Uh, only it was lethal because if you caught like typhoid or cholera, you had like two days to live and that's it. Literally. Wow. And it was spreading everywhere. We didn't have any shelter. We were all outside. And that's what I was saying. We would all go to sleep and like half of us would be awake and the other ones would be dead. That's how lethal it was. You know. So, you know, I I reflect on the time we're going through right now with COVID and, exactly and they're right. telling us they're telling us self quarantine, you know, <laughs> only go to the store if you need to go and I'm thinking self quarantine. Yeah, we have a place to quarantine. We we couldn't even self quarantine.
1: <laughs> oh 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 wear a mask, right? Wear a mask is gonna mask. help <laughs> it's gonna help somebody else. And your perspective is from a perspective like we didn't have anything. So people no. were dying because you didn't know how to help your fellow men. Here you have an opportunity to help your fellow men, right? To put right. the words of Jesus into action, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And it it, it it just behooves me to think that someone has an issue with putting their neighbors first than themselves, right? And right. we live in these beautiful homes, right? We live in and we have ways to keep each other safe right and instead of seeing and understanding from a global perspective right we we see seen what we're missing we don't see what right. we have well we're, right? yeah right yeah we're like oh but i'm missing this but i'm missing that you have your family you have food and t- you don't know, I mean there's so much to be grateful for i think sometimes and your perspective is a powerful perspective because you've been through sickness and disease and you're still talking because it is literally the grace of God that has to stand. I right, literally, yes. I can see you right now because we we are we doing this through video chat. That that literally, I can see you. And man, it's the hand of God. You are a miracle, a walking miracle.
0: I really am. And and to make things even harder, <clears throat> with the you know just comparing it to the pandemic. So imagine if we had a pandemic, you know, going on, and on top of that. We have no water, right? And the only water that we had was water that was infected by the pandemic. Let's say, let's say that COVID-19 was spread through water also, right? But you need water to live, right? And the only water that, if, let's say you turn on the faucet and the only water that comes out has COVID, but you have no choice but to drink it to survive that's what was going on so there were so many bodies so many people that are dead that there was just nowhere to put them you know they were on on the side of the roads. they were in you know just among us and and at one point they used to bring these big trucks they call them lorries right and they'll take just a whole bunch of bodies like hundreds and hundreds of bodies and dump them in the truck and they would drive to Lake Kivu which is in the Congo and just dump the bodies in there in the water in the water this was our only source of water literally we used our water to wash our clothes we used our water to um to bathe you know, we'll go in the lake and bed. we use our water to cook. We use our water to anything you can use water for. Wow. And that then there was dead bodies so... in
1: there. And they put yes. dead
0: bodies in there. They, oh, yeah. They were just dumping. Because there, there was nowhere to put bodies.
1: Wow. And I
0: remember this oh, one. You're going to love this one. <laughs> I mean, it's been wow. so long. I can kind of laugh about it. <laughs> but seriously, I don't even know
1: how
0: I survived this thing if if it wasn't for God's hand. I'm I'm telling you.
1: (laughs) you, When I hear you say that, I I hear everything you're saying is like you guys literally had to trust God in everything. Like think about it. We're drinking this water. It's like I got 100% trust that I'm going to wake up tomorrow because he wants me to wake up tomorrow. Like I have no Mm -hmm. other choice but to trust God. I have no other choice. Right. Oh my
0: goodness. Exactly. 100%. Um, So I remember one time my mom had bought me this nice shirt. um, And so we had to wash our clothes before we put them on. I know that's not a thing here in America, but like back home, just because of you just never know where it's been. But but it was kind of useless because I was going in Lake Kivu to wash that shirt. (laughs) And so I can't swim, right? I can't swim. I I still can't swim now. I couldn't swim then. And um, I went to try to wash my shirt and these big waves came and got my shirt. And I was like, oh my gosh, my mother will kill me. You know, this is a brand new shirt. I don't know where she got it from. It probably cost an nominal. leg. We didn't have money at that time. We had lost everything. We just ran, right? So I had to figure out a way to get that shirt. So I decided... I was going to go in and just trust that I'm not going to drown, but I'm going to get that shirt. And if for some reason I drown and die, my mother is going to come and grieve and say, you know what, at least she was trying to save that shirt that I spent so (laughs) much money.
1: (laughs) That's funny.
0: So so I saw a a log, right, in the water. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to go in and lay on the log and move my hand, one of my hands while I hold onto the log. And once I'm close enough to grab the shark, I'm gonna like make a, a leap and grab it and then turn around and go back, right? So that was, that was my thinking then, smart little kid. And so I do that, I go and I get on the log. And as soon as I, I'm like about to leap, to grab the shark, the log turns. And it's a dead body.
1: Oh, my goodness. Help us, Lord.
0: That's exactly what I said. I I (laughs) cried out to God. I was like,
1: (laughs) yo. Help us, Lord. Oh, my goodness.
0: I screamed my head off. And I'll tell you another miracle that happened. I swam so fast. All of a sudden, I could swim. (laughs) I swam so fast back to the shore. And I, I tell people, you think Mike Phelps could swim at that point in time? I I was, I was faster than Mike Phelps or any other swimmer out there. God gave me the ability to do things with my body that I did not know I could. And like I said, after I got to the shore and I was in a safe place, I forgot how to swim. I went back in the water, you know, a few years after and I didn't know what to do.
1: Wow. Wow. Listen. Um, and I seen my I seen my share of dead bodies, but to be in the water and having a dead body, I would have been met I, I just freaked out. Like it would have, it would have my goodness. Again, the trust level that you guys had to have in the Lord is such an incredible trust. It's such a such an incredible walk that God allowed you to face this journey, you know, of trust with him that not a lot of people get a chance, especially, I mean, we live in a blessed country uh, mm-hmm. where, you know I mean? Yeah, we go through difficult times, but comparatively, you know what I mean? We, we have a, we bless, blessed, right? We're really, really blessed. I think unless you travel the world, you don't understand how blessed you are in the United States. Yeah. Uh, you oh, know what I mean? And so that's why yes. I encourage our listeners to travel the world. You know, me being over 30 countries has taught me that, man, we are just a blessed, blessed. We're the rich man that the Bible talks about. Mm -hmm. We're the that are super blessed. Um, And so the trust level for God in those situations. um, How how did you get to the United States? That's number one. How do you get, what was the journey to get to the United States? And once you got here, um, how did this... Happily broken thing come to pass. How how, 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 what makes you write a book with that even title, which is an incredible book? What makes you write a book like that? So, how do you get? How do you now get to the United States from the situation that you're in?
0: Okay, so after that incident, um, went back to um, the refugee camps, and um, on my, actually on my way from the lake that day. Um, I was I was in a daze and um, I almost got uh, hit. A, a motorcycle almost ran ran me over while I was crossing wow. the street. And the motorcyclist got off and ran after me and beat me until I I almost passed out because he was angry. You
1: <laughs> was a little girl.
0: <laughs> yeah, and oh. tore my clothes and. And they thought that the worst was going to happen. And um, fortunately, he just let me lay down there bleeding and and leave left. So um, about, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes after I came back to life and and, uh, walked home. Um, And uh, I really, when he was beating me, he literally like, I was so little, like bonnie. He literally lift me up and just whooped me like he just walked up on the wrong side of the bed. Like, I don't know what was going on inside him. I was like, this guy is possessed by the devil because the way he whooped me, I had never seen someone so angry. His eyes were red. I remember looking in his face and thinking this is the face of the devil and wow. he just let me there. And it, it, that's another miracle that I even survived that incident because during that time, um, there was a lot of killings and kidnappings and, and prostitution and rape going on. But he beat me almost to death, but didn't do anything else to me. So I, wow. I just, I prayed God for that. And uh, when I tell people my story, they keep just your reaction, you know, like, wow, what, like, Why? W- your day could not get any worse and um and i keep telling them yeah i was having a bad day that day (laughs) that's a
1: bad day that is a bad day that is a bad day because you know how we have bad days here oh my (laughs) goodness that's a bad day come on i'm twitter i'm swimming with a body and i get beat that's that's just not a you you're going home not not happy right right exactly
0: exactly um so we went back, you know, lived in the refugee camps again um, for about three months that, that went on. You know, every day more bodies, more trauma, you know, more desperate. But we just kept moving because you know what? We had no choice. Yeah. You know, giving up wasn't an option. Come on. And my parents made sure that every single night we prayed for the following day so that we can live one more day one more day we are just taking it one day at a time and trusting that God would just lead us to where he wanted us to end up to the destination that he wanted us to end up so we took it literally one day at a time and um Finally, my father secured a place for us to go in Kenya, and we moved to Kenya from Congo. I remember first time getting on an airplane, and oh, wow, it was amazing. I I thought I was going to have a heart attack in the air, but uh, eventually we got down and uh, went and lived in uh, refugee settlements in Kenya for about five years. Um, And this was like, an upgrade from the refugee camp. So I was grateful. I I mean, that was like, that was um, the closest to normalcy that I had, but we were still living in refugee settlements. So meaning we had no rights, the police would come and, and um, you know, beat our parents up, take them to jail for no apparent reason until they get their money and then they'll bring them back home. and. It was just a struggle for five years. Um, wow. And uh, we, my my dad would go to the American embassy and try to apply to come to the US. And for five years, we got denied every single year. And it was very expensive. I mean, it was um, nine of us at that point. No, eight, eight, eight kids and then my two parents and for, for us to go to the interviews and things like that, we all had to catch the bus to go there. So on that day, we would go and catch the bus and go for an interview that we were denied to come to the U.S., but then we would go hungry that day because we had used all the money to go there, right? Wow. And so, and this happened, you know, in one year, we will probably go there like 10 times and deny, deny, and the fifth year, they Pretty much told us if we went back, they would take us back to Rwanda. We would be deported back to Rwanda. They were tired of us, and so that was our last trial. And we just kind of, my parents said, you know what? Maybe this is not what God wants for us. Because my uncle was here in America. He had been here for a while, and we were. He was also trying to help to get us here, and and so we had family here. But it just seemed like. It was not working. And, and my father eventually told us, you know what? Um, this is not what God has in store for us. And we're just going to sit here and trust that, trust that his will be done. Because we have tried the, everything we can. We have prayed. We have asked. We have begged. We have fasted. We have done everything. But these people keep denying us. So everything is in God's hands. Two weeks later, Danny, two weeks later, we get a letter in the mail that told us that we would leave Kenya to come to the U.S. in two days. We had two days to leave.
1: Wow.
0: <laughs> and we were like, hold on, hold on. What just happened? We had finally just settled. all I I was done settling, really. In my mind, I was like, okay, this is it. We're just going to live here, and that's what God wants, wants for us. Then we're going to happen, but God was not done with us because he knew that with us staying there, we would not see his full love for us. We would not see his full power, even though these people kept denying us. Don't come, don't come, and finally, we are going to send you back where you came from, which was even worse than where you are right now, God had the final say. And we got that letter. And two days later, we were on a flight to come to the U.S. And um, wow. I mean, when when we got that letter, we all had all these fantasies of how the U.S. would look like. We would look in the books that, you know, the, the, the U.S. Embassy, they actually had books for us to to look at, to study, to show us how, how to behave civilized once we get to the U.S., right? And these books were full of, like, you know, white folks with, like, blonde hair and green eyes. I didn't even know there were Black people here or Indians or Hispanic. Or, no, it was... <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was a totally different view. And so... And we got so excited, I remember the thing that made me so excited more than anything was that I was thinking, "Wow, one day I'm going to go to the u s and sit on a couch and eat and actually before
1: wow, 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 wow
0: that was my dream that was that was like the the biggest thing I could ask God for. Give me a couch so I can sit on it and have food to eat and feel like I'm full. And if you think about that now, you know, when I'm talking, when I'm sharing my story, I tell my audience, yeah, I really, my dream was to become
1: a couch potato. (laughs) Listen, listen, let me be a couch potato. At least I'll be full. (laughs) At least I'll be full. Wow. Right,
0: right, right. That was my dream because he had been years and years since I had sat on a couch I mean we used to sit on the floor Um, the little house that we lived in in Kenya was so small we did not have enough room that I literally slept on the floor for five years I slept on the bare floor for five years and I remember when I got to the U.S., I started experiencing pain in my sides and, and discovered that, like, some parts were a little deformed. And I never connected it until, like, three months ago. Mm. That, yes, because I remember I used to sleep on my right side more often than my left side. And I noticed that, you know, my right side is somehow different from my left side. And just three months ago is when I made that connection. Cause I went to the doctors and they would say, did you get hurt? Like why, you know, cause my right hip is somehow like indented and they would ask me, did you fall? Did you get hurt? And I'm like, I don't know, no, I don't remember. But then three months ago during COVID when I had nothing better to do but sit home and just reflect on my life, I realized.
1: The that floor, nice. the floor caused it, the floor, yeah, the floor the was floor on it.
0: for five years, the floor caused that. And now I don't even want it to get fixed. <laughs> that's
1: part of my story. Come on, it's part of your story. <laughs> it's like guess. Jacob's hit, Jacob's, Jacob's exactly. hit went out of socket, and his, his lint was part of his story, you know what I mean? Sometimes, that's just a part of it. Man, you know what? For those who are listening to us right now, if you don't believe in miracles, if you don't believe in the miracle power of God It's so powerful, Clementine, that God, even when we least expect it, even when we give up and just like, God, I can't. We did everything we can. They told us anymore that the miracle of that letter, that came in and say, in two days, you got to go. And, and I guarantee you, you didn't uh-huh. think twice. Let's go. We're leaving everything behind. We got to go. Oh, yes. But God works miracles. God works miracles. And I, I think a lot of times when we let go, really, and really, like, I always yes. see trust as the leaf in the river, right? That that, that that leaf has no other choice to go wherever that river is going, right? Yes. And that total mm-hmm. abandonment. Of, they said even when you float on water, when you, I don't know if you ever try to float, I know you say you this one, swim, but if you try to float no, on water, no. you can't, even if you think that you're gonna sink, you start sinking. That's how powerful your trust level has to be. Like, I'm not gonna sink, this water's gonna hold me. I have to think that way. Because even if you start thinking that you're going to sink, you start sinking. Right? Is that so, what happens? Is that is that's exactly what happens. Because the, it, we have to trust that the water is going to keep us up. And that is the trust of God. Like We can't question God. We can't, like even through everything that's happening, political, our country has all kinds of questions. Mm. And I always tell people, look at the prayer that Jesus told us to pray in Matthew, mm. right? Uh, in chapter six, he said this yo when well he first of all he says this is how you start praying our father know that you are son or daughter of the king know that he is your father and look at yeah. him as a father then hallowed be then worship him as the king of king and lord of lords then say your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and i love that he taught us to pray he didn't he didn't give us start complaining, start asking. Right, exactly. Your will be done. Your will be done. I don't know who won the election. I really don't care. Your will be done. Right, right, right. Who wins? Your will be done. I don't know when COVID is going to leave. Your will be done, right? Mm -hmm. And and I trust in his will and that he has us and that we trust that whatever he has us walking through, we need for the time that we need it, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know that we need it. You know, we like, well, I thought my life was going to be this. You thought you was going to be, you, you, you was literally a royalty, right? Everyone, you was royalty. And God said, I have a route for Clementine. Why? Because her testimony, we overcome by the blood of the lion and our word our testimony. Her testimony is needed to deliver and set people free. You know what I mean? Everywhere, all over the world. You know what I mean? And that's beautiful that God allowed you to walk through this so that you can look at people and say, hey, COVID, let me tell you what I went through. And I, and I went through <laughs> it. And I'm still
0: here.
1: Right? So, right. we're going to And tomorrow. we'll be
0: just fine. We will be Come just on. fine. Come right, on. right. Come on. So, tell us about And you know morning. how God calls us oh, go to be like God calls us to be like children. Right? I mean, I look at my kids and they literally put their whole life in my hands. You know, they expect me to feed them. They trust that I'm, that I'm going to feed them. You know, they trust that I am going to protect them. You know, my son came in my room in the middle of the night last night and he said he was having a bad dream. And I told him, OK, sleep next to me. He trusted that I was going to protect him. Come on.
1: Come on. This
0: is what God wants us to see. See him. This is how he wants us to see him. To trust that he's going to protect us, you know. Even when even when our children are in pain, they come to us and they trust us to help them feel better.
1: And that's right.
0: That is exactly the kind of relationship that God wants us to have. But we get to a point in life where you know we we grow up and we start thinking. You know, I know better. I don't need God. We even forget that God is there. And then we start trusting ourselves. We we start trusting our spouses. We we start trusting the society and what they tell us is right and what's wrong and how you should look and, and what you should be eating and how you should be feeling about your next door neighbor. And we forget that we are all from one source and that's who we need to trust.
1: Come on. Right.
0: So at one point after we got to the U.S., I went through uh, I went to high school, went to college, um, you know, experienced a lot of difficulties when I was in high school. I was bullied to the max because I was all sorts of different. Right. So I had just come from this traumatic experience and I come in a totally new country it's literally like black and white and I remember it was in October so it was around Halloween time and and all I could see was skeletons hanging in trees and all over the place and I'm I'm in my mind I'm thinking okay all those dead bodies that I just left back back in Africa and it was just so traumatizing and I, I did not know the whole history behind Halloween. Why do these people celebrate dead bodies? Why, you know, so when I went to high school, I was in, I was in shock. You know, mm. I was a very, very timid, shy little girl, lost, was made fun of every day. I was called all sorts of names. Um, because I was from Africa and you know they call me like Shaka Zulu or they call me monkey or and and because I had a a different accent or I spoke multiple languages all of a sudden that was a negative (laughs) when it's supposed to be something positive so anything that would be an advantage to me it was turned uh, as a disadvantage in high school and what I had to do when I got to college, I had to learn to see all those disadvantages as advantages and come out as, you know what, yes, I went through a different experience. Yes, I am different. But aren't we all different? You know, mm-hmm. didn't God create a diverse creation so that we can all fulfill each other? You know, and I started asking some of the Some of the kids that used to bully me, I would ask them when we went to college, they were a little bit more mature and, you know, I guess more understanding. I would ask them, just imagine if the world was full of people just like you, would you want to hang out with yourself every single day? Mm. Just imagine that would, you would be bored. I don't want to hang out with myself every day. So instead of seeing people that are different as, you know, animals and demonizing them, embrace them as God's creation, as God's way of showing you the diversity and the beauty of, of his creation. The more. You know, if you're, going to, if you're going to be mean to someone who's different from you, then I suggest you go ahead and marry yourself. don't ever get married because whoever you're going to marry is going to be very different from you that's right so i started embracing my difference and i actually went to party with it and any chance i would get to show how different and unique i was i would take it come on and i was proud of who i am i was proud of um, who I had become and I just could not trade my experience with anyone because God knows that and I truly do believe this if I hadn't gone through what I had gone through in in my young age I would not be happy with who I am right now Mm -hmm. and I believe that a hundred percent and which is why I am happily broken. I am content. I am happy with who I am because of the breaking that I had gone through. It does not make me a bitter person. It makes me a better person.
1: Come on. Come on.
0: So, I mean, life life looked like, you know, everything was going back to normal. Went to college, graduated. I was very known on campus um, because, like I said, I decided to be authentic and be the and try to be the creation that I felt God wanted me to be by putting me through, by allowing me to go through the different situations that I that I went through. And because of that, I was like the image of the University of Dayton, you know, um I had, uh, there were postcards of my pictures being sent all over the world to recruit students from different nations to come to the University of Dayton. I was in different newsletters, publications, and that's when I started doing motivational speaking, started traveling around the nation. And I was was 19 years old, and I am doing this motivational speaking in my fifth language you know, something that I never thought, you know, things I was being made fun of in high school because I I spoke multiple languages. I was using one of these foreign languages to travel the nation and and share my story. And so I felt like, you know what, I have finally arrived. This is where God wants me to be. My life was awesome. I went ahead and got married and got my master's degree graduated with like a 3.9 and I was you know very popular at that school again got pregnant had my first child and I mean life was great and I started getting comfortable and I wasn't speaking so much anymore you know doing my motivational speaking it kind of you know life just kind of got really busy you know and uh but I, I was still you know Uh, prayerful and just remembering where I came from and knowing that there are people back where I came from that are still there going through the same thing. But I wasn't sharing my testimony as much as I felt God wanted me to share. And Mm -hmm. I, I deeply felt it in my heart. I felt like my heart was not fulfilled. And I still feel that way now when when it's been a a while since I've gone and shared my testimony to anyone or or really feel like I had a conversation with someone and and I spoke value and I brought value into their lives. I still feel that, um, that, that hollow feeling in my heart. So around the time I was feeling that way, I was actually pregnant with, um, with uh, my daughter, a baby girl. And uh, my husband and I had been praying for a long time for a girl because for some reason in his family all they had was boys and I hmm. mean years i someone's praying that they're having a boy a boy a boy and we were like we are the, the couple that's going to have a girl so we prayed we read science books we Yo, we went to research We <laughs> we did everything. We had everything in our hands. We took matters in our own hands to have a baby girl. And at 18 weeks, went to the doctor to find out the sex of the baby. And it was a girl. And we came out thinking, you know what? We got this. We are smart. We... We wanted a girl. We made a girl. We are having a girl. I mean, it was, it was literally like the happiest moment in my life. And, um, pregnancy went very well up until around seven months, um, seven and a half months. Um, I felt no movement in my body for like a whole day. And I figured I was like, something is wrong because my girl was pretty active and she would kick me to the max. And I thought she was going to come out kicking and, and the whole day I didn't feel her kick. So I thought, you know, maybe I've been busy at work. I didn't really pay attention. So I went to sleep and uh, in the morning I still didn't feel any kicking because she kicked at the same time, every single morning, I knew when she was going to wake up and i woke up and nothing so i started panicking i went in the fridge and got some uh, orange juice and you know cold orange juice to kind of wake her up nothing i started jumping up and down nothing i i started poking my stomach nothing and finally, I told my, uh, my uh, husband, I said, you know what, I'm going go to go the, to the emergency room so they can check me out real quick and then I'll go to work. I remember that day I had a meeting with my manager. So I called her on my way and I said, you know, I'm going to the emergency room real quick so they can check my baby. You go ahead, go to the meeting and I'll meet you over there. She was like, okay, cool. So she goes and I go to the emergency room and I get there. And I tell the nurse my story and she comes in and looks for a heart rate and she goes quiet and I'm looking at her. I'm like, what? I mean, the baby's fine, right? She's like, hold on. She walks out of the room. And so I start thinking, okay, something is not right. She comes in with another nurse and they, now they bring up the ultrasound machine and they look. There's no movement, nothing. They bring in a doctor and the doctor finally says, you know what, we're sorry, there's no heartbeat. And, wow. oh, Danny, I, oh my goodness. I can, I, I, I can remember the feeling that I had that day. I just felt like my whole world just came crashing on me. I had never, never felt like this in my whole entire life. And I didn't even know the feeling that I was experiencing existed. Mm. It was a feeling that I, I just could not describe. In all the languages I speak, I could not come up with a word that would describe this feeling of helplessness to the maximum. Like I even needed help to breathe. I needed help to be, I felt so helpless, so useless. It it, it was a profound feeling of just, I took matters in my own hands, my husband and I, we wanted to have a child, we took matters in our own hands and now this is what happened. We never once prayed for for that baby. We decided we were going to go and do research and figure it out on our own. And so I remember I called my husband and he came, we lived in uh, Massachusetts that time. And I lived in Worcester, he worked in Boston. So he took the train to come and meet me. And, and he also got the bad news. Um, and then we actually had a false alarm. At one point, my, my stomach started, like, there was movement movement in my stomach, and we all thought that the baby was alive, and my my husband got on his knees, and he started praising God, like, thank you, God. Like, we knew this was not possible. We knew that our baby was alive, and and the nurse came rushing with the ultrasound again. She's like, yeah, this does happen. You know, it could have been a false alarm. And so we all started rejoicing. And, and they put the, uh, the, heart, the um, heart monitor on my stomach. And now it was a false alarm. Still nothing. So we went all back. We, our heart just sunk in even more. We had wow. a little hope and then went right back down. And I remember... You know, I was, I was very numb when I was in the hospital, stayed there for about three days and, um, I had, I had to have that baby. Like I was having a live baby because I I told them, I was like, cut, cut this baby out. I don't, I don't care. I want this baby out. I don't want anything dead inside me. I don't want it. cut it out. And the doctor said, no you are still young, uh, you will have more children. So you are going to have these babies the normal way. So I remember going in labor, very painful labor for hours, hours, knowing that I'm never going to raise this child. And mm. just that feeling, again, of just helplessness. I mean, I felt like I, I was I was nothing. I was so helpless, so powerless, and I was just at the mercy of whatever the next doctor would tell me to do, whatever anyone would tell me to do. I was just there, just going through the motions. I ended up having the baby, and um, at first, I had told everyone I didn't even want to hold the baby. I I didn't think I could I could look at the baby and not and literally not die because of the pain but then after I had the baby I had had family around they came to see me and and they you know my sisters and my brothers and my um, my brother-in-laws they kept holding the baby and passing it you know passing her among them and finally I decided you know what let me let me hold her I don't want to be the only one that doesn't see the face of my baby before we say our final goodbyes, because for some reason, I felt like, I, I looked at the faces, their faces when they held the baby, and the, the look on their face when the baby reached their arms was like a look of peace, like, yes, they were in pain, but their faces also showed some, some kind of peace going on like showing on their body and i wanted to see what what that was about and and i remember holding clarette and her arms were crossed and she was sleeping she had a little hat on her you know she had a little hat that uh, the hospital had given her and she looked so beautiful and so peaceful like the most peaceful looking creation I have ever seen in my life and so sinless so innocent so peaceful, just perfection to the maximum and and I am so happy that I decided to hold that baby because I know that if I hadn't made that decision up to now I would still be grieving that child yeah I really would because there wouldn't have been any closure and that was the best decision I made uh, one of the best decisions I've made in my life to hold that baby and look at her and say goodbye to her and um, so we went through the whole motions of you know having a funeral we had about 400 people show up at that funeral I mean these No one knew her. We had folks that I didn't even know knew me or knew about my experience come to the funeral. We did not know where these people came from. But they showed up and they were with us and they prayed with us. And after that whole period where people are coming and then slowly by slowly they start going back to their normal lives that's when I started really reflecting on my life from when I was five and to, to about where I was and just thinking about everything that I had gone through. And I remember holding, I went and held my Bible to my chest and I sat on my bed and I cried. I mean, this cry was coming from deep within my soul. I've never cried like that. That was the first time. I didn't even know that kind of cry existed. Mm. And I asked God through my tears. I said, I asked God, I said, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? Why is it that when I feel like I'm all set, that I'm where I need to be, yet something else happens and it questions my my thinking. What do you want from me? Is there something that I'm doing that you don't like or is there something I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not doing? You tell me what you want from me. I am done trying to figure out life by myself. I am done thinking I'm enough and I'm self-sufficient. I need you to use me. And I fell into a deep, deep sleep, deep sleep. I, You could have came and slapped me, I wouldn't have woken up. I fell into the deepest sleep. And the following day I woke up and went on my computer and started writing my book, Happily Broken. And I remember when I woke up, the words happily broken just came into my mind. I did not have to sit down and think of a title for a book. The night before, I didn't even know I was going to wake up to write a book.
1: <laughs> Come, on. Come on. I
0: did not. I did not go to sleep thinking I'm going to wake up and write a book. And within 30 days, it was going to be on Amazon selling hundreds of copies. I did not see that coming. But I woke up. I went on the computer. I opened up the Word document. I typed happily broken, and then I just started going down. And I would write and write and write and go to sleep. Wake up. Write and write and write. Go to sleep. Wake up. It was like clockwork, and I loved it because I was in this. I was in this. Uh, It's like I wasn't here,
1: Mm.
0: you know. It's like when I got on the computer and just started typing, I couldn't even control my fingers. I was just going. And I went through the, you know, editing, publishing, you know, book cover. Everything was just so fast. And in four weeks, that book was on Amazon. Wow. And I know I shared this with you you ask me now to write a book I'm gonna be like wait what do what
1: <laughs> <laughs> and people that read my is.
0: book people that read my book they would come to me and they would say can you write my story like he wrote your story and I was, I, I'm sorry I can't I cannot I've had a lot of people war, war survivors um, I had this uh, man he was a prisoner of war in Iraq and he was He was tortured almost killed he actually he was a writer and he was tortured because they thought he was a spy and he met me and and um after he was tortured he had stopped writing he couldn't write he had like writer's block Mm -hmm. and then we met we connected and the first article that he ever wrote was about me that was the only time that was the only way he could start writing. He heard my story, he connected with me, and he started writing again. And he went to win awards all over Boston. And my story is one of the awards that, won, that he won, right? And he begged me to write his story of him being a prisoner of war, being tortured um, by the Taliban. And I, I, I would love to, I would have loved to do it, but I couldn't. Yeah. I absolutely couldn't because I truly believe that the Holy Spirit was there with me when I was writing this book. And that whole period when I was writing the book was a period of healing for me because I healed so much. I remember things that I had forgotten and they all just flew. They just all flew out of my, my head and just landed on paper and it was a beautiful experience. It was a wow. beautiful experience that I cannot trade, and now I'm here.
1: Man, that is there's so much, so much. We 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 uh, we could spend another hour together. And I know those who are listening, uh, this is a longer podcast than normal. But I hope that every you're hanging on, uh, and, and Clementine, I'm just gonna ask you one more question, and then we're gonna just let folks know how how to get a hold of you um how did how did tell us how did you get through even that last little bit losing a child what what were some of the things that the lord had you how how did that closeness to God how did that all happen I mean as you, you you're holding your baby you bury your child your daughter that you really wanted um how do you still hold on to it like somebody's going through something right now that's listening to us and they feel like they can't hold on to God because they lost hope, so to say, mm-hmm. in God because of the situation and that the circumstance seems bigger than God at the moment. What encouragement could you give that person that's going through that hopeless situation, whether they lost somebody in COVID, where they lost finances, where they lost a family member, where they, where they just lost their faith because they lost their faith in God. What is an encouraging words that you can talk through so you can encourage them throughout this time? And some of the things that God spoke to you as you was going through that loss.
0: So this is what I would tell them. You know, we are human and we do not know it all. We are so blind in so many ways and God made it so, so that we could trust him. So that we can know that he is, he is our God and he loves us and he is capable of anything that's why we are blind and when i go through difficult times when i was going through that whole experience with my daughter claret all i had to do was think about how i got there in the first place that's all i had i did not have to go read the bible i did not have to search I, all I had to do was think of my life and, and ask myself, why am I even still breathing? Mm. Right? Because I can count on one finger how many childhood friends I still have. A lot of them were killed, but I'm still here. So who am I to trust that I'm not going to go through and be fine through this experience again? Right? So I I had enough proof to show me that this is another dark moment, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. And you know what? I truly believe that God is preparing us for something greater than we really think we we are going to get. This is a moment of preparation. Come on. So we should not waste this moment. This is when we should really put our trust in God and connect to God and and ask God, what do you want me to learn from this experience? How can you use me to further your kingdom from this experience? How can I add value in people's lives to show them your love through this experience? Mm. How can I not think myself as a victim, but as a victor in this experience? And how can you help me? How how can, how can the Holy Spirit help me share my story of survival and resilience when this is over? Because we have children that are looking up to us. We have history books to write about this moment. How are we going to show your love and, and bring people closer towards your kingdom from this experience? So, Let's not look at this experience as the end of it all, but the beginning of it all, Mm. as in we are being prepared for something great. It's like when we want to run a marathon, right? We don't get up and all of a sudden we're running a marathon and then we get to the finish line and we call it success. We have to practice and you know what, when we go out running and jogging our muscles hard, the following day you're not able to walk, it is painful, but at the end of the day you're preparing for something great. This is our time where we are going through some pain, some heartache, but we are being prepared for something great to come, and what God prepared me for when I lost my daughter Clarette was for me. He knew that I needed a way to turn this pain into purpose, and it was for me to to get ready to start uh, the Claret Refugee Fund, which has helped hundreds of refugee kids in Kenya to go to school, because otherwise they'll be on the street. Refugee kids, just like I was, through the Claret Refugee Fund, in which I'm hoping you and I will work together on. Yes. I was able to provide school supplies, tuition and, you know, food to hundreds of families who would otherwise be on the street or or just be, you know, be hungry, malnourished, but through the loss of my daughter, I gained that heart to be able to spread God's kingdom.
1: Turn your pain into purpose. That's so powerful. And I love, I I want to take it to scripture. I'm going to end this way. Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Why? For all his name's sake. Why are we going through it? For his name's sake. Neither do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no real. Why? Because you are with me. Not only that he's with you, I want to end this. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You just said this. So that doesn't mean that he—that rod is used to spank you, none of that. that, that literally, that, what that means is uh, just like Moses had a staff and a rod. So what they used to do is God used to have these men of God write the history of the children of Israel on the rod and on the staff. So it was like they walk in Bible. So when they said my the rod and staff comforts me, my history with God comforts me because I know that it, he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. He can bring it. Amen. That, yeah. Yes. And so when he's saying your rod and staff comforts me, what he's saying is the word and the history that we have with God comforts mm-hmm. us today because I have history with God. He I've seen miracles. I think a lot of times our problem becomes bigger than the process and the, and the purpose and the preparation of God that we don't see God delivers at us a lot of things. You know what I mean? Like you said, right, I'm right. here and I'm here for a purpose. And so let his rod, let his staff comfort you. Let the history you have of God comfort your heart. Let his word that he has written from, we have stories upon stories from Genesis to revelation of God's faithfulness of God's triumph, right? Yes. Of God taking somebody through. Amen. Let that word comfort your heart and say, God, if you did it for them, you would do it for me. If for you took me. Joseph yeah. out of the pit and put him in the palace, you could take me out of my mess and put me back in the palace, right? And so I just wanted to comfort somebody with that. Your story is so amazing. Um, the wave is going to be giving, and we'll do this this week as we join hands with you with the Children of refugee. We're going to join in ministry together. We're going to bless you financially this week. I'm telling you that right now. We're going to be a blessing to you financially this week. We're sending money to you this week so that we can be a blessing. We're joining. And I want those who are listening to us to join us. We've been praying for a long time as a ministry. Uh, We've had other opportunities to be part of Africa and stuff that was happening in Africa. God, never it never felt right. It was just always different things, but this feels right to us. Uh, our ministries partnering together, and us becoming a an active partner. Not only are we going to send finances, but when this COVID thing releases, hopefully you and I will be heading a, a trip to Kenya. Yes, so We can amen. minister and bring people with us. And so, yes. uh, tell the folks, Clementine, how to get a hold of you. How how can they also give? How how does the Way family can support what, what the ministry that's happening in Kenya, your ministry, everything that's happening? Give them all your information so that they can get a hold of you.
0: Thank you so much. Yes. So I am very thankful again for being here today and would love to connect with every single one of you. Um, If you need to reach me, you can uh, go on my website. It's uh, Global Impact Academy. And um, uh, the URL is globalimpactaca.com. So globalimpactaca.com. Or you can just google my name clementine behiga my information will come up and uh, my email is uh clem c-l-e-m behiga b-i-h-i-g-a so b as in boy h-i-g as in god a at hotmail.com if you go on my website you'll be able to purchase um, a signed copy of my book and uh Part of the proceeds goes to the uh, the organization that helps refugees. But I'm looking forward to hearing from everyone. And again, Danny, um, thank you so much for this opportunity, and I'm so looking forward to working with you. And thank you for the to the whole way family.
1: Oh man, Wave family, we thank you again. Again, I know this is longer than usual. Hopefully, you made it to the end, or you stopped it and you played it again. And you continue it um, because it. it it's just such a blessing to reiterate that we have to trust God. So thank you coming time so we can re- reiterate to all of our folks to say trust God with all your heart. Don't lean unto your understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. We love you. We say blessings to you. Blessings to you coming time. And we'll speak again soon.
0: Thank you. Have a good night. God
1: bless. All right.
0: Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Wave Ministries. Visit thewavecolumbus.com for more information.